read, uh, while following to the message, right, the following to the message, the pastor, the angel sometimes is here, of the congregation in Smyrna. For these are the words for the one who is the beginning and the end, the one who became a corpse but came back to life. And uh, there's a lot of imagery in here. There's a lot of important things in this idea. It's just reminding everybody that Jesus is at the beginning of the story, at the end of the story. If you look at Colossians, you'd see that he was active in creation. He was a part of creation. And we also see if we go to the end of the book of Revelation, we're going to see that he's at the end. He's the beginning and the end. He is transcends time, but he's also in both places. He's over it all. He's in charge. And then he puts this little phrase in that the one became a corpse. Uh, celebrate this at Easter time. He died on the cross uh, to make it possible that our sins would be forgiven, that perfect lamb of God. And then he comes back to life. And the people in Smyrna would have been very aware that there was a time where their city had been destroyed. And then it was rebuilt. A hundred years earlier, a couple hundred years earlier, it was destroyed. And then it was rebuilt. So they're catching all that imagery as uh, Jesus talks or has John, uh, his uh, friend, uh, when he was uh, on walking on the earth with the 12 disciples, last disciple still living, uh, has him write these words. Read on. I am aware of the painful difficulties you have passed through and your financial hardships, even though, in fact, you possess rich treasure. And I'm fully aware of the slander that has come against you from those who claim to be Jews, but who are really not, for they are a satanic congregation. Do not yield to fear in the face of these sufferings to come, but be aware of these. The devil is about to have some of you thrown into prison to test your faith. For 10 days you will have distress. That imagery of 10 days could be literally 10 days, but there's also the idea sometimes when 10 days is used in the scriptures, it means for a long time time complete long time so much more than 10 days you will have distress but remain faithful to the day you die and i will give you the victor's crown of life the one whose heart is open let him listen carefully to what the spirit is presently saying to all the churches the one who conquers will not be harmed by the second death inferring that uh, when there is this moment of Christ returning and there's the judgment seat, you will not be harmed by that because you have placed your faith in Christ. Now, I'm going to show you a video that I probably showed maybe like five or six years ago. It's uh, probably three minutes. Um, it's not graphic, but as you listen, it's pretty. it can be a little intense. Now, I'm kind of setting it up maybe more than it is, but I just want you to be aware of that. And uh, so sometimes you and I, again, when it talks about suffering church, persecuted church, uh, you know, we don't like that somebody gives us a hard time because we have a, you know, Jesus is the reason season pin on us or, or a mug like that. Uh, that really is not uh, persecution when you look at what it really is. So uh, this comes from uh, what it was like to be a Christ follower in Syria. You need to remember that some of these places that at one time there was like uh, some of these cities, there was like 400,000 people that say they were Christ followers. And today, some of those places, it's less than 60,000. And it's not because they were all imprisoned or all killed. It's because there's just been a push to get them out of there. You see some of that, the migration that's taking place from 
some of those areas in the Middle East and in Africa into Europe uh, really is uh, an oppression of faith, and those folks are running for their lives. And I can't blame them. I, I, I blows my mind for the people that actually stay put to be a light. And you even saw a little bit of that in uh, Ukraine where some of these uh, pastors and seminary professors uh, chose to stay. And when the whole war started out, right, we thought it was going to be over in days. And here we are, you know, more than 100 days in that battle still going on. Those people had a ticket to get out in a sense, but they said, you know, this is the time for us to stay put. I've told you the story about way back in the day before a lot of you were even bored when Y2K, everybody was nervous about that and what's going to happen and, you know, all, you know, and they said, we should go get a place, you know, way up in the woods and we'll be safe. And I said, yeah, that, that sounds all good, but, but that would be like the worst thing to do as a pastor, you know, to like everything Armageddon takes place and you go off and live in a cabin on the side of a mountain someplace you're safe and then once all the pressure's over you come back go hey I'm back you know no you need to stay there and be with the folks and uh, so again this idea of staying and going and again that's that's a God thing but uh, anyway so this this is this is uh, uh, you know some things that are, are going on and in Syria this is a, a woman talking about uh, her prayer life and trying to wrestle with what to do. We were praying for revival, believing God would do a big work in Syria. Then the war came. Now the terrorists are attacking Christian homes, churches, and even our children. Their goal is to empty Syria of its Christians. We hate the spirit of Islam that is destroying our country, but we love our Muslim neighbors. They come to us and say, in the name of our God, terrorists rape and kill. Where is God? We tell them about Jesus, and many are coming to know him. Still others. One day, while I was praying, I asked God what he would have me do to be his witness, but he only asked me, Will you give me your life? As I prayed, I understood he wanted all of me. And I said yes. If the time came, I was willing to die for Jesus. The next day, while I was praying, I asked God again what he would have me do. This time, he asked me, Are you willing to give me your husband's life? It is not easy to be ready to die. My husband and I prayed about this together. We said yes to God. The third day was the most difficult. On this day, God asked me if I was willing to give up my children's lives. The terrorists know who we are and that we share Jesus with Muslims. It is not safe for our family. My husband and I prayed and fasted, and together we agreed. God gave us our precious children. He has the freedom to take them back. When we agreed to put our children on the altar, I knew I had to tell them the truth. I told them that it was possible that men with swords may come through our door, men who didn't know Jesus. 
They may say bad things to us and try to force us to convert to Islam. But no matter what they say, we should not answer them. We should only tell them that Jesus loves them and that we forgive them. I told them that we might see some blood and have some pain, but it would only be for a little while. That we should just close our eyes open them, we will be with Jesus. I also told them that as long as God wants us to be safe, we will be safe, that he is in control. Even during the bloodshed, during the killing, he is carrying our future. This is what it means to be a Christian in Syria. sombering stuff but but that's that's real that's real I, I don't know if I could uh, pray those prayers or have the heart that like uh, a mother but uh, there are there are people even in this day I mean we were all horrified uh, the folks that were trapped in Afghanistan and that's some of what goes on that's that's real so how do we respond to that? How do we live a life? Uh, uh, you and I are not uh, free from suffering in this country in other ways, but uh, how do we do that? You can see some statistics there. You can go anywhere and find statistics there um, uh, and uh, do a little more, more research on that. So, so what are we to do when we're facing some kind of suffering? Again, ours is not as intense as other places in the world. Uh, it does seem like we're, uh, our, uh, the potential for that seems to be a little bit more increased in our country than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And again, I'm not a prophet of doom and doom, but just look at, look at our world, being aware of that. Uh, so, what, so what are you and I to do? I think we can learn a lot from the Church of Smyrna. And we're going to see that, the, or we already read, that Smyrna was not condemned for any of their behavior. It's very interesting. It's, it's, it's catch-22. When the church experiences suffering, and when I say church, I mean local groups of Christ followers, churches, the church, faces uh, suffering. It seems to refine them when it comes to their faith. And so this happens over and over again. Uh, I think I shared in the last year or so about, a, again, a couple somewhat same situation and uh, they said, so how, what, do we, what do we need to do? How do we, how, do we, you know, what, what, how can we help? And they basically just said, pray that we will be faithful. Their, my first prayer request would be, pray that I get out of here somehow. But their prayer was, pray that we will be faithful. And I just can't even get my mind around that um, to some degree. And I personally have to be transparent with you. I don't know what I would do if I was put in a box into that kind of corner. But uh, there are churches, there are Christ followers that are experiencing that. Egypt would be another example of that. Uh, the Christians in Egypt have been, uh, you know, they just come in and they take all your stuff. You lose everything. You have a business, it's gone. You have a house, it's gone. You, they just walk right in your house and take your stuff, and, and that's the end of it. So, um, so what do we do? How do we, how, do we, how do we walk through this? 
First of all, I think the first uh, obvious thing in as we read this passage is this whole idea that Jesus knows. He says, I know, I know about suffering. When you are suffering, remember some things. And Jesus knows not by just head knowledge, just not by looking down from heaven, if you will. He knows because he experienced it. That word know is by experience, not just an academic, intelligent kind of knowledge. It's because of experience. So when you and I find ourselves in these situations, whether it's uh, this kind of situation or suffering, with um, some kind of health problem, some kind of financial problem. Uh, Some of us, uh, you know, have suffered wondering, uh, you know, at 2 in the morning where our kids are, uh, whatever that kind of suffering is, Jesus understands that. Jesus Jesus knows that. And uh, we see that he says, I know your afflictions. And that idea of afflictions is uh, being pressed down, crushed, squeezed, uh, I would have loved to have had a, um, and I wasn't going to go out and spend $50 for this, but uh, a little orange press. That's the kind of idea of when you put the little orange on the top thing and you press it down and you squeeze all the juice out of it. That's the idea of this word afflictions being pressed down. And um, Smyrna actually is known for myrrh. And looking at this, uh, there's a number of ways you can get myrrh. Um, Couldn't zero on one or the other, but uh, here's a couple, uh, you know, pictures of it. Um, uh, This idea that uh, Smyrna was a a port for this and it was transporting, and uh, two kinds of ways, you either um, distress the trees and you get the the sap and it hardens up and you can see it there, and also there's some ideas that some of these myrrh plants uh, have little berries on it, there are thorns on it, you take those berries out and you crush them. So again, this idea of, uh, you know, affliction, uh, pressing down, This the, the people in Smyrna would have understood all that. Those ideas would have jumped off the page to them. Uh, for us, not so much because we're not from there, don't understand those kinds of things. So as we think about this, we know, Jesus says, I know, he knows what you're going through. So no matter what you are facing, No matter what kind of suffering you're facing, whether it's that extreme that we just watched on that video, like in Syria or North Korea or one of these other places, or it's a suffering that you are carrying yourself, maybe it's just a a broken heart for somebody in your life and it bothers you, it keeps you up at night, Uh, Jesus knows what you are going through. And as he knows what you're going through, he also understands what you're going through. And he puts all that together. That is what's so wonderful as we read the book of Hebrews, as we see that Jesus knows what it's like to be human. He's been boxed into that corner, and he uh, gets boxed into a corner, tempted every way that you and I are tempted, but doesn't give in to that temptation. And I don't think that's just academic. I don't think it's just academic, because you get these big theological discussions, could Jesus sin, could his son not, you know, and all of that, and there's volumes of books written on that, but the bottom line is that Jesus experienced it, he knows what it's it's like to go through, Hebrews talks about having a high priest, and Jesus being that mediator for us, so he understands, so we can, and really, we can lean in, so because he knows, you and I do not have to be afraid doesn't mean we're not aware it doesn't mean we're not concerned but we don't have to live in a panic state 
God is aware of everything, everything in the way it lines up. And some of this stuff we've talked about we just don't understand. Some things we can't get our mind around. Sometimes we can't grasp. But God, uh, you know, all of this uh, points to him. And someday in the future, all of these pieces that seem to not be connected uh, will come together and be a beautiful tapestry. Uh, some of us who have seen these beautiful tapestries, maybe in a museum or a place, or maybe even uh, you're picking something up you want to put on your wall, you look at the front end of it, and it's just beautiful, right? But you flip it over, and it's a disaster. I mean, there's, there's yarn or whatever they make them out of, you know, going, that shows you how much I know about it, but it's going everywhere. And uh, you look at the front, it's beautiful. You look at the back, and it's crazy. Likewise, in our lives, in the world, we look at the back, and it looks crazy, but someday we'll flip it over and we'll see the beautiful tapestry that's been made. So we don't need to live in a panic. We don't need to be afraid. These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. Anyone who dies, comes back to life, has a lot of credibility in my mind and my heart. And that's Jesus. He's the first and the last. Yes, it takes faith to trust in him for those ideas, but you don't have to be afraid. Fear nothing in the things you're about to suffer, but stay on guard. Fear nothing. I go, wow, that sounds great, because we're going to see what the Smyrna church what is, in a sense, on what costs they're going to have to pay. And Jesus says, fear nothing. Be on guard, yes, but don't be afraid. Even Psalm 3, 5 through 6, I can lie down and rest and know that I will wake up because the Lord covers and protects me. So I will not be afraid of my enemies, even if thousands of them surround me. You know, sleep is a gift. You know, some of us, for other reasons, can't sleep. But there are times in our lives that we can't sleep because we're on edge about something. And it's such a gift when you can put your head down on your pillow and say, you know, it's all in God's hands. It may take a little work. It may take a little study of who he is, walking with him. But I love those, well, I really, I don't know if I love those moments, but I, I appreciate those moments when it seems like everything is crazy around me, the world is uncertain, but when it comes time to go to sleep, I can just leave it in God's hands and go to sleep. And that is a gift. I can lie down to rest and know that I will wake up with a confidence in that. So Jesus is not saying not to feel anything. Again, I told you, you know, we need to be aware, uh, not uh, pretend that nothing's going on. Uh, Jesus wants us to be free from being afraid of being afraid. I think for a lot of us, uh, we watch the news, we see what's going on, and we're afraid of being afraid. And it just kind of takes us over. We're, we're used to living with what we perceive as no risks. We're used to living with everything being put together, and we think we're all set. But some of the things that have blown into our world and gone all around, everything from COVID to all these things, uh, you know, have showed us even when we thought things were locked down and pretty good, uh, you know, things are pretty vulnerable out there. 
life is more fragile than, than, we, than we like to admit. But Jesus wants us to be free of being afraid. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in that sense of a panic. Again, these are the last words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. Now, from that verse, I'm just going to rattle through these things. If, if I go too fast, you can get these online. Uh, we load the message guide up with uh, the blanks, and with the blanks filled in, you can find that fairly easy. A uh, couple things that uh, John Stott sees in this. He says, first of all, he sees that God's eternal transcends time. So that should give us a hope, that should give us a faith, that should give us a peace. Um, he also sees that the Lord is victorious. We know the end story. If you go all the way to the end of the book of Revelations, you see new heavens, new earth. Everything turns around. Everything as God intended it to be, wants it to be, is now established. He's letting history run its course. He's letting us be human to show that we are not the God of our lives, that we need uh, an eternal God. And he shows that he's victorious with that statement. Also that he's all-knowing. He gets it. Nothing surprises him. There's nothing out there like, ooh, I didn't know about that. I didn't know that election was going to take place. I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't know gas prices were going to go up. He, it's, 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 he's all-knowing. He gets it. Uh, we also see that he's sovereign, which the idea is he is in control. And sometimes we want to say, how would a loving God, a God that's in control, allow all these things to go on? But all of us in this room would say we love free will. And when you and I have free will in our lives, our decisions affect other people. You either have it or you don't have it. So if we have free will, our decisions affect other people. Some of our decisions just affect a small circle around us. Some of the uh, more world, world stage people, their decisions affect the whole world. But we all value free will. And God didn't want to make a bunch of robots. He wants us to lean in because we want to lean in, because we choose to lean in. So he's giving us this time to live that way also he's purposeful he's got a direction he's got some things he's working something out uh, it's not just arbitrarily just happening out there you can see that again in that verse eight uh, he's also generous very generous and some of us might think well is he really yeah he is generous he gave his son and in a few moments we're going to celebrate that as we uh, take communion together but he is very generous so when we think about looking to the future, looking ahead in the midst of a suffering church or in the midst of suffering, we again realize this idea that there are no surprises. And everything I've taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. And some of us need to be reminded of that great confidence of resting in him. For in the unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrow. But you must be courageous, for I have conquered the world. No surprises. We live in a broken world. Almost predictable, the brokenness of our world. You can just look on the horizon and go, you know, this is a broken world. People do things that are selfish. People do things that are self-serving. And it affects, on our planet, it can affect millions and millions and millions of people. So there should be no surprises regarding that. I can see your pain and poverty, constant pain and dire poverty. 
but I also see your wealth. Again, these folks could lose their businesses, almost liken it to uh, Nazi Germany where Jewish folks would lose everything. Even people that in theory had a lot of influence and control lost everything. But Jesus sees also the wealth that's produced in a faith that stays true. And I hear the lie and the claims of those who pretend to be good Jews, who belong to Satan's crowd. Oh, nothing is so hurtful. You know, you can take pressure from people that uh, don't seem to have any fear of God in their life. You kind of expect that. But wow, is it a heavy load when there's someone that you consider someone who has a faith in God and they don't reflect that faith in the way they act. In a sense, they're influenced by Satan's schemes and the prince of darkness of this world, and you see that unfold in lots of ways. Fear nothing in the things you're about to suffer, but stay on guard. I mean, again, Jesus is saying this to people who are suffering like in North Korea, because what would happen is because Smyrna was so occupied with being like in Asia Minor and lo loving Rome, that they had all, they had this beautiful, beautiful temple to the emperor, and they just, they just, they, anybody who put anybody else first beyond the emperor was, was they, they just were not going to tolerate them. They even at a time tried to say, you know, uh, if you, you can still follow Jesus, but the emperor's got to be the number one God. There's even the pantheon where they talked about adding a statue to Jesus to that, to the many of gods, and it would be okay. And at the tip of the church or tip of this temple, it said, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, but it was referring to the emperor, not to Jesus. And, and they just couldn't do that. And that created all kinds of, obviously, problems. They would lose everything, even their lives. So the idea of, you know, the things that we face, we face, can face poverty at times when we take a stand for Jesus. Smyrna, that, that was what they faced. Um, the slander might be more our speed where we're at. We can take slander if we're trying to honor Christ. And, and this is not for doing bad things. Sometimes I bump into Christians and go, oh, I'm getting persecuted. And I go, well, how do you act at work? Well, it's because you're, you're not a good employee. That's why you're getting picked on. It's not because you're a Christian. <laughs> you should be a good employee. And then let's talk about it. Um, uh, poverty also. Sometimes you might get passed over for a job promotion because you're known as someone who follows Christ. Uh, imprisonment. Smyrna, the people there were going to be imprisoned. Uh, again, I gave you that figure right now in this very moment. 50 to 70,000 Christ followers who consider Christ followers are in prison in North Korea. And I'm sure there's statistics out there for other places as well. Um, when it came to, um, again, I mentioned the Pantheon. There it is. And that whole idea of King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Um, there, was a, there was a church leader, church pastor. Maybe you've heard of him. Polycarp. And he was a leader in Smyrna. He probably was alive when this letter came to the church in Smyrna. That might have been in his late teens or early 20s. And uh, he was put into the Colosseum, and they were going to take his life. And, and they just wanted him to even just take a little bit of a bow, a little bit of a bow. And this is what he said. He was in his mid-late 80s. 86, 
Eighty and six years I have served Christ, nor has he ever done me any harm. How then could I blaspheme my king who saved me? And he gave his life. And uh, he wouldn't uh, try to take a little bow. He wouldn't do that. And uh, he, even though he was a part of that suffering church. So where are some of the sources of our suffering? And this isn't to look for a demon behind every bush. But uh, some places it's the powerful. In our country, it may not be the government, but it could be the you know, media. Uh, it could be uh, you know, those kinds of places. And uh, they can just put the squeeze on uh, someone who's in a right way living out a Christian life. And so you just have to realize that. Uh, sometimes it's the culture, just living counter to the culture. Uh, living out Christ-like values, uh, you know, all, all across the board and, and taking a lot of pressure because our culture is not a Christian-leaning culture. And I don't know if the culture ever really is that, but uh, this idea of that can be some of our suffering. Um, obviously, it could be from jealousy. Uh, Jesus, one of the reasons he lost his life, one of the reasons the Pharisees and all of them, they did not like the fact that he was getting more attention and in a sense had more influence than they had. So they wanted to get rid of him. And uh, all of us have been in places where somebody is sometimes jealous of us and uh, they're just on us because it really comes down to, to jealousy. And uh, the last one, uh, the evil one. Satan is alive and well, and you may not go, is there really a devil with me? No, I don't. He comes as a, as a prince of life. You can look in the Old Testament. You can see his influences on our planet. So we're told in like to be faithful. Don't quit, even if it costs your life. Stay there believing. I have a life crown sized ready for you. And again, this, this just goes beyond our understanding. I, you know, most of us can't imagine being put into that position where we either have to deny Christ and, or, or, or own Christ, and it could cost us our lives. But again, there are places like that, and we need to think about that. I, I honestly don't know how I would respond. I would hope that I wouldn't surrender my faith in a sense. I, I know God would forgive me, and a part of me goes, well, why don't you just go, yeah, and go, you know, I had my fingers crossed behind my back, you know, so, you know, kind of thing. I, I don't, you know, there's something about not denying and then being faithful. The God who got you started in this spiritual adventure shares with us the life of the Son and of our, I should say, master <laughs> there, and the idea that uh, if our master suffered, so why would we expect to have anything else happen in our lives. Then he wraps it up in verse 10, which says, I will give you your life as victor's crown. And it's interesting, in Smyrna, there was this higher elevation area that had a little bit of a circle in it, and all the fancy buildings were there. It was like the fancy section. So everyone in Smyrna were thinking that was like the crown of the city. So they're getting this imagery, and Jesus saying, I will give you the victor's crown. Also, the whole idea of uh, the Olympic Games. Uh, there's some talk that in the stadium there at one time, they had had some of these Olympian Games come through there. So they're all mindful of all of this. And Jesus says, I will give you the crown of life. I will give you good, solid living now, the best life you can have, with the promise of the future. So when I was thinking about this and thinking about, you know, what the bottom line would be if you're, if you're not accustomed to being here, I usually like to have a bottom line. And I thought of uh, Corey Ten Boom. Uh, 
as a person that not only can speak about suffering, but experienced it. And I encourage you not for a fun evening movie, but uh, I figure watching some of those movies that are about her life and what she went through. Uh, she and her family uh, hid Jews from the Nazis when they got caught, and their whole family was sent off to concentration camps, and uh, she was the only one to come out alive. And so she knows all about it. There's even some lines where she um, thanks God for the fleas in their barracks because it kept the guards away from them was a blessing, even though the fleas, I think they were driving them crazy. And so uh, here's a woman who understands suffering. And so one of her quotes is, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. And earlier when I said, you know, we don't need to be preoccupied with being afraid of being afraid. And sometimes I think we are that way. And also, there's this idea of never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So as you think about all that's going on in our world, and you think about the craziness, the uncertainty, maybe some suffering that really is right in your life right now, uh, the answer to that or some of the answer to that is to lean in and know your God who you follow so you are trusting a known God, not an would you pray with me? Grace Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for your letters to the churches that you include in the book of Revelation. And Father, as we think of the church of Smyrna, we just ask that uh, you'd help our minds get, even get around a little bit of that. That seems so different than our experience, and thank you that it is different. But Father, we ask that, again, as we think about Independence Day and July 4th, we just ask that you would help us to use the freedom we have well. Help us not to uh, take uh, the fact that we can practice our faith, that we can gather in a room like this and not be worried about persecution. Uh, we don't have to be worried about guards outside the door catching us on the way out or writing down our license plates and coming after us later on. We don't live in that kind of a, a place. And so, Lord, we ask that we wouldn't take that for granted. We would use the possibilities and the blessings of being able to gather uh, as your people, and we would uh, lean into that as it is so often. So, Lord, help us to think about that. If there's anyone here today who has not placed their trust in Christ, I ask that as we walk through communion, the picture of what your son did for us would just touch hearts. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name.